Hey, and thanks for listening to Ask the Pastors. This is a segment of the West Hills podcast where you have the opportunity to ask your questions and receive biblical answers from our pastoral staff. My name is Brian. I'm your host and pastor of worship. And I'm joined by Will, our lead pastor. Hey, guys. And Thad, our youth pastor. Hey, everyone. We've got a bit of a spicy and maybe slightly divisive question today submitted by an anonymous congregant. They ask, what does scripture say about the doctrines of Calvinism? Does West Hills, through a statement of faith, subscribe to Calvinism? If so, how many points does West Hills adhere to? Will, can you start start us off maybe by outlining the five points of Calvinism that this person was referring to? Then maybe we can just go point by point and talk about what scripture says for each. Sure. Uh, and even before I get to the five points, I'll start by just giving an overview of the four parts of this question that we want to try and respond to here. So, um, I, yeah, I hear four things in this question. The, the one is sort of unspoken as an assumption that we even know what the doctrines of Calvinism are, and um, clearly the asker of this question does. And so um, I think we need to start by defining what the doctrines of Calvinism are. And so that's where we'll get to the five points that, that um, she mentions later in her in her uh, question. The, secondly, um, we need to turn and look at what Scripture says about each, as um, as the questioner asks, uh, anonymous question. And then thirdly, um, we'll consider West Hill's stance on uh, the issue, and then maybe close with just some personal uh, for the three of us as pastors. Um, answering her question about how many points does do we adhere to. So um, for starters, if we want to define the, quote, doctrines of Calvinism, traditionally um, there are five doctrines that are uh, used to identify a Calvinist uh, theological uh, position, and uh, they're typically uh, identified by the acronym TULIP, um, and I'm gonna. I'm just gonna uh, read a short description of each of these five uh, theological uh, assertions, uh, affirmations, from one of my uh, favorite um, resources for scriptural questions, theological questions. Um, referenced it many times on our podcast, Got, GotQuestions.org. Um, I think they do really good job of helping uh, succinctly summarize a, a lot of things. So maybe we can plug them in the show notes, Brian, but uh, they say this, the five points of Calvinism can be summarized by the acronym TULIP. T stands for total depravity, U stands for unconditional election, L for limited atonement, I for irresistible grace, and P for the perseverance of the saints. Uh, Here are definitions. Total depravity, as a result of Adam's fall, the entire human race is affected, all humanity is dead and in trespasses and sins, Uh, man is unable to save himself. Unconditional election. Because man is dead in sin, he is unable to initiate a response to God. Therefore, in eternity past, God elected uh, certain people to salvation. Election and predestination are unconditional. They are not based on man's response because man is unable to respond, nor does he want to because of total depravity. So they build on each other. Limited atonement. Because God determined that certain ones should be saved as a result of God's unconditional election, he determined that Christ should die for the elect alone. All whom God has elected and for whom Christ died will be saved. 
Uh, and then I, irresistible grace, those whom God elected, he draws to himself through irresistible grace. God makes man willing to come to him. When God calls, man will respond. And then finally, perseverance of the saints, the precise ones God has elected and drawn to himself through the Holy Spirit will persevere in faith. None whom God has elected will be lost. They are eternally secure. Um, and then they give scriptural references with each of these um, is, is support uh, for, for each. Um, and so on part number two about what scripture says about it, um, yeah, there's lots of additional scripture that others would add into the, uh, the debate, the argument, um, but I thought we could at least start with their scripture. But before we do, Thad, you know, on, on just defining doctrines of Calvinism, you're the one who just, uh, I joked with Dad that he literally took his uh, systematic theology exam uh, online for um, his, his MDiv degrees pursuing last night, and so I joked that I should just defer to him and let him answer all these mm -hmm. systematic theology questions because I'm not a big theology guy anyway. So um, what, do you have anything to add on even just definitions of, of each of those five points that you want to throw in? Yeah, I, I'm super fresh with the exam last night, but I think those definitions are helpful and to even recognize that they build on one another that there can be uh, different definitions that are given for each of those, that there's even different acronyms that are now given to try and replace TULIP to give it something um, that's more tangible for people, but it all does start with total depravity, but it also at the same time starts and ends with grace, which is important to remember. Another way to refer to Calvinism or Reformed theology is the doctrines of grace. <laughs> Um, which will be all throughout that all of it is, is done through God's grace. I, I found this quote by J.I. Packer really helpful. Grace means God's love in action towards people who merited the opposite of love. Mm -hmm. Grace means God That's moving good. heaven and earth to save sinners who could not lift a finger to save themselves, which brings us to total depravity, that yep. we could yep. not save ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I think the question a lot of people might ask about total depravity and the scriptural references is, is it really all men? Are there any exceptions? Is there anyone who has some sort of goodness in them? Hmm. And I think anyone who is a parent would say, no, there, there is no goodness that Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, or even Second Chronicles six thirty six, there is no one who who does not sin, to name two. And because of that sin, Ephesians two says that we are dead in the trespasses of our sins. That idea of total depravity and inability within ourselves to do any good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or at least to qualify, there's no goodness in us apart from God. Mm -hmm. That we are made in God's image, and that that. It does convey certainly a sense of dignity and worth to to everyone, um, whether or not that's you know merit. But uh, yeah, no, that's that's good. Um, so as we as we shift, 
you already started throwing some scripture. I'm just so excited. Out there, that's good. <laughs> um, never too much Bible. Uh, before we even go to the, some of the passages in defense of each of these five points, and, uh, and I will say too, with at least one of the points, I want to mention some scripture in, uh, in, that, that would seem to, to uh, question or, or undermine uh, the point, rebut the point. Um, but before we even get to that uh, and the scripture uh, in support, um, it's interesting, uh, Brian, you didn't, uh, you, you didn't read it when you read the question, but when I went back and looked at the original, you know, question that was written in by our, our podcast listener, she actually, there was a parenthetical, and this is why you didn't read it, but she included a parenthetical where she says, what does scripture say about the doctrines of Calvinism? And then she put a parenthesis and she wrote in Romans 10, 13 and Titus 2, 11. So I want to start with the two, mm, the two verses good. that she referenced, which I think, uh, and I, I have a very strong guess about who, and, and in fact, I think she told me after church that she had submitted this question. So I think I know who submitted it and, um, and what her position on it is, and I think her, the scripture she referenced will um, tip the hat there. But Romans ten thirteen says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. I mean, we could read emphasis where, where we want. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then Titus 2.11 is, The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. So my assumption, based on these two verses, she's, she's selectively um, included in her, her asking about Scripture on the topic and, um, and what I know of this person's theology, is that uh, she, she is not a Calvinist and so has maybe heard me say some things that sound Calvinist from the pulpit and um, has questions about that and our church's stance on it. Um, and so, uh, let me just quickly respond to the two passages Mm -hmm. that she versus Mm -hmm. she mentioned there, and then we'll get to the others. So, uh, the, the Romans 10, you know, we all know a verse without a context is a text without a context is a pretext for a subtext or I don't know, proof text. Thank you. Yeah. Whatever it is. Basically you need to put everything in context. So, um, the context for Romans 10 is that Paul is answering questions about differing versions of salvation for Jews versus Gentiles. So when he says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, uh, he's thinking everyone like both the Jew and the Gentile kind of recurring Pauline, um, uh, motif. But, if, if you just look at the verse right before it, Romans 10, 12, he says, There is no distinction between Jew and Gentile, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So, again, he's Paul is clearly not making the point there that every human being who's ever been born uh, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He's making the point that whether you're a Jew or you're a Greek, if you call on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. That's his point. Similarly, um, if we turn to Titus 2, uh, verse 11, context here. If you, if you don't have any context here, if you just read Titus 2, 11, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. I mean, obviously there are uh, people who take that verse that far out of context and use it as, quote, biblical support for the 
idea of universalism, the idea that every human who's ever been born is going to be saved, um, which is clearly unbiblical and, you know, would take about 30 seconds um, to, to disprove uh, from Scripture. But, but just two verses later in Titus 2, Paul says, you know, we're, he says, we are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Now, obviously, that description doesn't fit everyone. I mean, a people for God's possession, zealous for good works. If you're going to tell me that's every human who's ever lived, um, then uh, we have a very different view of humanity. Um, you know, that, that there are few who are zealous for good work. So salvation for all people in verse 11 must refer there to all kinds of people, you know, whether that's Jews and Gentiles, slave and free, rich and poor, men and women, all nations, every nation, tribe, and tongue, all kinds of people is clearly what Paul has in mind there as he, you know, makes the point elsewhere um, in, you know, uh, Ephesians and Colossians 3 about, you know, God... Uh, saving all all kinds of people, um, so that that's the context for those two. I think it's important to put it in context. Um, that anything you want to add to those two before we jump into some of the scriptural support for for the specific tulip points? No, I I think you hit it out of the park. Okay, let's do total depravity in Genesis six five. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every intention of the hearts of his uh, thoughts of his heart was only evil continually sounds pretty depraved. Uh, that was just uh, on the eve of the flood, of course. Mm-hmm. So I guess theoretically somebody could believe that it's gotten better since then somehow, that we've evolved and <laughs> we're, we're less depraved um, by nature mm-hmm. now than, than they were. But um, again, other scripture that would seem to contradict that. Jeremiah seventeen nine: the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Our hearts are, our hearts are wicked. They're sick. Um, Romans 3, 10 through 18, we won't read the whole thing, but none is righteous, no, not one. You already read this one. Dad, no, no one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside. Together they've become worthless, no one does good, not even one. So, again, a lot, of, a lot in Scripture, you know, we could look at Isaiah 64, even our good deeds are filthy rags, um, you know, Isaiah 53, you know, we've all turned... Uh, aside, we've gone astray. Um, God has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. So we've all gone astray. We've all sinned. Um, even our, our good deeds are filthy rags. Um, total total depravity. Um, anything? Any other scripture you have for that one? You want to throw in? Uh, I had First John one eight and ten. Uh, if we say we have no sin, mm-hmm. we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we say we have not sinned, yeah. we make God a liar. Right. Uh, and I also have Mark ten eighteen, where Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Yeah. Just further emphasizing our own sinfulness, yeah. our, our total depravity. Those are really, really good. Unconditional election, Romans 8, uh, 29 and 30. Those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom God predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. So, again, this language of calling, predestination, predestined election, 
um, is all there in Romans 8. Romans 9, next chapter. This is, I, to me, the strongest articulation of unconditional election in, in Scripture, Romans 9. Um, though they who, uh, sorry, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. Uh, and then Paul goes on, he's using an example there of, uh, of, of Israel and the Old Testament and God calling Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, his sons, calling it this people, not because of anything they did. In fact, the Old Testament goes to lengths to show us they didn't do anything to confirm their calling. Very, very infrequently did they get it right. Um, it was just God's sovereign, uh, grace, gracious you know, election. Uh, and then you got verses 14 through 24 in Romans 9 as well. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? Paul anticipates the the objection like, wait a minute, this person's chosen, even if it's me, even if I'm in church reading this as a saved believer thinking, well, that's not fair. God chose me, but isn't choosing my cousin who, you know, um, who seeps, keeps rejecting God and hardening their heart and what's going on. Um, Paul anticipates that. He says, is there injustice? By no means. For he says to Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scriptures say, says to Pharaoh, for this purpose I've raised you up, that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So God even, again, Paul, giving this example from the Old Testament, Pharaoh, we hear all that language in Exodus about Pharaoh hardening his heart. God, even God hardening Pharaoh's heart kind of goes back and forth, interestingly. Um, Pharaoh hardened his heart. God hardened his heart in the plagues. So there, there's, there's a mutual sort of hardening, and, and so clearly God is doing st stuff, and then Pharaoh's doing stuff. But the point that Paul's making is that, you know, God allows guys like Pharaoh to be raised up and to be put in positions of power so that God's name might be proclaimed in all the earth. He says, so then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. God hardened Pharaoh. He says, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? How is God just in punishing those who, you know, God has appointed mm -hmm. for, for punishment and for, for hardening? Uh, and here's Paul's response. He doesn't try and give us some really in-depth theological argument. And again, this is tough for us to swallow. This is why it was the, the last and I think personally hardest passage in our toughest text series a um, year and a half ago that, that I let Thad preach because I'm so gracious. Because it was so hard. Speaking of, <laughs> speaking of grace, because I'm so gracious. Uh, but, but here's Paul's answer to that. You know, why, why, can, why does God find fault with people if he's the one hardening their hearts in some sense? He says, but who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? He says, you know, you make one, one vessel beautiful and you paint it and you put it in your centerpiece and you put flowers in it and whatever, and then you make another vessel to take dumps in. Uh, I mean, this is the Old Testament. No toilets. This is what they did. So this is, uh, sorry, New Testament. But yeah, this is this is what Paul's mm -hmm. talking about is uh, this this image of honorable use, dishonorable use. Uh, God's the potter. We're just the clay. 
what right do we have mm-hmm. to, to question the potter? And that's a, that's a common uh, image and, and illustration used all throughout Scripture. Um, Isaiah 46, I, I think, or 49, I just was reading this past week in the Old Testament, similar kind of thing where Isaiah's, you know, voicing the, the laments of the people for being punished in exile. And God's, God's thing is, hey, who are you to question the potter? Um, Job, same thing. You know, Job, you know, why are you making me suffer? I'm blameless. God says, who are you to stand up and question me? And so that's, you know, th- that's, that's our, our right sort of, um, I think, response when we, have, when we have these kinds of questions about calling, election. And I, I think that's, that's where I would, you know, those who have, and understandably so, have theological sort of, you know, difficulty getting their, their head and their heart around a, a kind of God who would choose some and not choose others. Um, I think at the end of the day, those of us who, you know, want to be biblical about it, have to point to some of these passages and say, you know what, I get it, it's hard. Um, and yet mm-hmm. God is God is totally sovereign, really, really sovereign. He's in control. You know, we we have far less, uh, um, you know, of a say in things that, than we, we probably want to mm-hmm. think we do. And certainly when it comes to our salvation, we, I, I, God better be sovereign because if I'm even a little in control of my salvation, there's no mm-hmm. way I'm going to be saved. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got to be the one to do to do all the heavy lifting, all the lifting, period. So that's that's Romans 9, uh, real quick, Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1 is runner-up for runner-up for next most, um, uh, you know, uh, unconditional election heavy language. He chose us, God chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Uh, again, later verses 11, 12, in him we have obtained an, inher- an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. God works all things according to his will. He predestines, he chooses, he elects, he does all of it before the foundation of the world. You know, again, I, these, some of these passages I have a couple, you know, friends, pastor friends, elders at other churches, friends that, 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 uh, uh, that are, you know, uh, self-identifying Arminian, not Calvinist. Uh, and, you know, sometimes every, every year I read through the Bible in a year, I'll come to these passages and I just have to text them again. I, and, and, and I'll reach out and text, not, not in a, you know, rub your nose in it kind of way, but like, Help me understand your position because I, I really don't understand how you can read Romans 9 or Ephesians 1 and not believe in unconditional election. I mean, it's the predestination. Uh, it's right there. He predestined us. He says it three times. So either you're reading a wacky translation um, of the Greek that I've never heard of or, or I, I don't know how you get your head around your position biblically on that. But... Um, yeah. Any any others you want to throw in on unconditional election, Dad? Yeah, I'll add I'll add two. Um, Romans eleven five through six um, says so too. At this present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. That grace is grace because it isn't because of our works and going continuing in Ephesians Ephesians two. 4 and 5, but because of his great love for us, not because 
we were doing anything. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved that we are dead, that dead things don't do anything, that they're just there. Um, To take it away from the scripture to how others through church history have put it in the canons of Dort, it says, election took place not because of foreseen faith, the obedience of faith, holiness, or any other good quality or attitude. Election instead took place for the purpose of faith, Hmm. that God before the foundation of the world by sheer grace and according to the free good pleasure of his will chose in Christ to save a particular people. Um, That it's nothing that that we do that earns us, that it has to be through God's choosing of us because we cannot do anything good. We cannot do anything that would be, look at my worth and value. Look at these good deeds that merit that I deserve salvation because they're filthy rags, as you said. And agreed, reading through those passages, it's it's really hard to come to another conclusion. Uh, You mentioned in, in Romans 8 that, those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image that those build on one another, not because of anything we do, but God did the foreknowing, and then he predestined, and then he conformed, and then he chose that he justified and then glorified. Those all build on one another, mm-hmm. and it all starts and ends with God. That's right. And we're just recipients mm-hmm. of the grace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. So um, we'll be quicker on the last three here biblically limited atonement matthew 121 she will bear a son you will call his name jesus for he will save his people from their sins his people just his people um john 17 9 i'm praying for them this is jesus high priestly prayer uh, i'm praying for them i'm not praying for the whole world but i'm praying for those who you have given me for they are yours uh, Acts 20, 28, Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So what did Jesus purchase with his own blood? He, he purchased the church um, specifically. Ephesians 5, 25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So again, um, Jesus gave himself for the church specifically. Um, now, should we go ahead and uh, talk about... Now, we'll, we'll save the verses in uh, in opposition maybe to, to that one in particular for mm-hmm. later. Anything else, Limited Atonement, verses you want to throw in? I'm good. It's good. Mm-hmm. Okay, Irresistible Grace, John 6, 37, 44. Uh, all of that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Beautiful reminders from Jesus in the mm-hmm. Good, Good Shepherd passage. Um, you know, whoever comes to me, I, I keep him. And he, no one can come unless the Father draws him. That's irresistible grace. And the, the converse of that is if God draws you, you will come. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's kind of the irresistible grace. And then John ten sixteen, Jesus says, I have other sheep, not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. I must bring them, and they will listen to my voice. If I call, if Jesus calls, Jesus is calling you is bigger than even if you don't, even if you wanted to resist grace, you couldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, 
uh, because he's he his love is so big, his his power is so so strong. So that's irresistible grace. Any others on irresistible grace you want? Uh, I think just the picture um, painted for us in in John eleven with Jesus calling out to Lazarus. Yeah. That as Jesus calls, as God calls us, it's a very great picture of us dead and the trespasses of our sins that Jesus calls to us. What is Lazarus? What is Lazarus? Us. Dead Lazarus going to say, no, I won't be raised. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. uh, that it just paints, it paints this beautiful picture of how it is that God raises dead sinners to new life in Christ, the Spirit's awakening in our hearts. Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. And then finally, perseverance of the saints. Uh, again, we'll stick with John 10. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Um, My Father who's given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. So (laughs) just very, very clear. (laughs) My Father's more powerful than any of y'all, more powerful than Satan, who would like to snatch us out of God's hand. He's if if God calls us, you already read mm-hmm. Romans eight. Well, that yeah, that's the next one here for me. Those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed in order that he predestined those he called, those he called, he also justified those he justified, he glorified. Like you said, they built, but they're all in the past tense mm-hmm. in the Greek. Even the verb syntax, they're they're all in the past tense. So if you've been predestined, called, justified, you're already as good as glorified. Glorified means completely sanctified, mm-hmm. made perfect, united with Christ in heaven. You're you're one with him now in heaven. You know, mm-hmm. that's the saints that have gone to heaven before us. They're glorified now. They're up living in their glorified body in heaven. But the thing is, they were as good as glorified the minute they mm-hmm. uh, got justified, the minute they turned from sin to Christ. And the thing is, they were as good as glorified the minute he predestined them before the world was even created, mm-hmm. before they even turned, because he knew they were going to do it because he called them and he mm-hmm. told them to come. So mm-hmm. that's very clear in, in Romans 8. And then Ephesians 1, again, I won't reread that one, but um, all of it, but, but just to quickly, in him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his, his purpose. And then he, you skip down, he says, uh, in him, when you heard the word of truth, uh, gospel of your salvation, believed, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, the promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Holy Spirit is the guarantee. You can't have the Holy Spirit. You know, once you come to faith, you're reborn, you know, not just of water, but of spirit, John 3. Once you've got the Spirit, it's the, the Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. Mm-hmm. You know, the Spirit doesn't just come in and set up shop and then, yeah, I think I'll, I'll go. You know, if you've been regenerated, reborn, you can't be unborn. You can't be unreborn. Mm-hmm. So perseverance of the saints, God keeps those he calls. Any others from Scripture you want to point out? First uh, John 2.19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out from us in order that it might be made manifest that they are not truly of us, that those who are believers are believers and stay, and those who truly aren't believers will not last, will not remain, that uh, Christians will fall at times in, in different ways, that we'll still sin, but we are kept from falling altogether completely 
out of our salvation. Like you said, that that the Holy Spirit is the guarantor. Another way to think about it is the Holy Spirit is the down payment of what God is going to do wow. and finalize in us when we are glorified in him. Mm-hmm. That's, good. That's good. So quickly now, um, let me just raise this this uh, counter and yeah. point. So again, the article I pulled a lot from gotquestions.org and again, the um, the name of that article, we'll put it in the show notes, but the, the name of the article itself is What is Calvinism and Is It Biblical? Um, but the, the one uh, in particular of the five points that they zoom in on a little bit more than the others is limited atonement. They mentioned this is the most controversial of the five doctrines, um, that, that there are so-called four-point Calvinists who, who typically, if you're only going to sign on for four of the points theologically or whatever, it's going to be uh, the T, the U, the I, and the P, and you reject limited atonement. Um, uh, reject this teaching, believe in what's called universal or unlimited atonement. In their view, Jesus' death was sufficient to atone for the sins of everyone who lived or will ever live, but it only applies to those who come to saving faith in Jesus. So sufficient to atone, but only applies to those who come to saving faith. And in particular, which this resonates with me, I already told you, I'm not a theology guy, I'm a Bible guy. So the fact that it's that this is, there, I think most of four-point Calvinists will be grounding that in Scripture, because there's a couple verses that seem to undermine the position of limited atonement, and say that no, 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 Jesus' death was for everybody. It's it's unlimited in its its power and its scope and its effect. First John two two, he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. I mean, the four point Calvinist and certainly the Arminian would say that seems pretty clear to me. Mm-hmm. He's the propitiation for the sins of the whole world. John one twenty nine. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, "Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world." John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. He didn't say He He so loved the church. He so loved Christians. He gave His Son. He so loved the world. And then First Timothy two six. Uh, God gave uh, God God who gave Christ. He gave himself, sorry, I didn't do the whole, whole context. Jesus. We're talking about Jesus here. Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all. Ransom for all. So um, four really strong, really mm-hmm. strong scripture passages that, that yeah. need to be re, uh, rebutted maybe or, you know, answered by the five-point Calvinist, um, limited atonement. And for sake of time, I guess my thought would be, Thad, Brian, y'all, I've got, I've got a ton. I've got three more pages just on limited atonement. But I'm thinking that could be possibly a follow-up point to, we'll see if anybody even listens to the podcast anymore. Um, if, if somebody oh, says, they hey. They do. Yeah, if somebody com- comes to us and says, hey, you know, I want to I follow up just on limited atonement because I, I want to hear the rebuttal to those four Scripture passages and how how a Calvinist can can still be you know a limited atonement kind of thinker, so maybe we save that and just shift instead to um, West Hills and our yeah. position, how many points we subscribe to, all of that. So um, strictly speaking, if you do a, a word search for Calvin or Calvinism or Calvinist uh, on our statement of faith or even in our fuller fifty-page Constitution as a church. You will not turn up any results, no hits. Um, so there's there's nothing explicit about you know our church's position on Calvin Calvinism. 
Interestingly, though, I could have sworn, and Thad knows because I've been saying this in in our entry point. Every time I get this question about Calvinism in entry point, which is probably every third every third time we meet or something, mm-hmm. um, somebody will ask about it, and I will say, you know, as a church, we do not take an official stance on Calvinism versus Arminianism, the five points, all that. But um, but my I I. I definitively remember reading a version of our Constitution. It might have been the old 2015 version of the Constitution, like that I came and was hired under or whatever, that stipulated that the senior pastor of West Hills has to be reformed theologically. Now, the distinction between being a Calvinist and being reformed in your theology, they're related, mm-hmm. but not maybe totally synonymous. Again, maybe another podcast issue for another day. But um, suffice it to say, if you're reformed theologically, you, you probably bend toward Calvinism. So I distinctly remember reading that the senior pastor has to, and that was certainly my understanding, um, you know, even before I mm. became senior pastor when I was associate pastor. Um, but I, the versions of the Constitution since then that I, I went back and looked for that clause in, like today when I was doing the, the prep for this, I couldn't find it anywhere. So I don't. I don't know that we do actually say anything, anything about um, take any sort of a stance on it. Other than here's. Let me just quickly read from our statement of faith. Our statement of faith is pretty, uh, pretty heavy in some of the language uh, under our section of statement of faith. The fall. We say when Adam fell from his original sinless state through Satan's temptation, all humanity participated in the fall and are thus alienated from God, corrupt in every aspect of their being, under God's righteous condemnation, and in supreme need of being reconciled to God. Man's only hope is the undeserved love of the same God who alone can rescue and restore us to himself. That sounds a lot like total depravity to me. Right, so that's, that's at least one of the five points. Uh, then you got um, under, under statement of faith on God. It's about God sovereignly rules over all things. Um, you know, that would include, of course, election and justification and who's saved. If God is sovereignly ruling over all things, especially salvation, um, and then under God's plan, it's even clearer. We say from before the beginning of time, God determined to save a great multitude of guilty sinners. For again, Ephesians one, from every nation, tribe, language, people, uh, and, and and to become a people for His own possession. Again, sounds like unconditional election. So that's that's all kind of the I guess evidence. Um, that I could I could see there for at least the first two points mm-hmm. of, of Tulip. Um, but other than that, I, again, no official church stance. Um, anything yeah, and, you want to add to that? And, and I think some of that is, well, we recognize that there are people who are Calvinists and people who are Arminian and people who might describe themselves as something else is we are uniting around the same fact that Jesus came to die on the cross for our sins and provide salvation for us. And we're going to declare that gospel to all people. We're going to celebrate that gospel every week that although this can be divisive and uh, a hot topic button for some people in the theological world, uh, it's not ultimately a matter of salvation, how many points you 
say you subscribe to or of a different stance, but there are some core things you have to believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Salvation is only through Christ. Um, So yeah, although our church doesn't have an official stance, we welcome that in some ways amongst the congregation. Yeah, we do. And I know for a fact we have, like I said, a person who asked the question, uh, we have plenty of folks here who would not identify as Calvinist and we love having them here. And, uh, yeah, uh, we we worship the same God, the same Christ. You know, might have different ways of sorting and thinking out. And uh, you know, we we joked about um, you know Thad had mentioned this idea that you know, every Christian is is deep down really a Calvinist, um, and whether or not to include that sort of jab. Um, but you know, if if you ask enough follow-up questions and really try and get clarity on, okay, you know, defining the terms and what do you mean by election and let's, let's really, let's study this passage together. Probably there's, there should be a lot of, yeah, mm-hmm. that overlap. Um, but at the end of the day, like you said, um, and maybe this is to bring us to our fourth and closing kind of part of this as we've unpacked, definition of Calvinism, scripture for, against, and then um, our church's stance maybe now turning to our own mm-hmm. positions on it and how many points we would subscribe to. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I, 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 have, I, I guess I'll just yeah, go on record as saying um, five points uh, seems, seems right and biblical to me. Um, you know, maybe, maybe I think the limited atonement deeper dive might be worthwhile to, um, you know, because we may have some folks who are four and a half points or (laughs) four (laughs) points at this point until, Mm -hmm. until further notice. But, um, I think, you know, as I've done the deeper dive on some of the back and forth on limited tone, I I think, yeah, five points. Um, but at the end of the day, what you said that is where I would want to leave it to is that what matters most is, you know, if man, if I'm going to claim any label, it's not going to be John Calvin's name. I don't, I don't care what you call me. I, and I would not probably ever, unless you just made me, um, call myself a Calvinist. I'm, I'm a Christian. You know, if I'm going to claim a label, I'm going to claim the label of Christ. Uh, and I strive to be a biblical Christian and understanding all of God's word uh, in, in how it shapes my thinking about uh, my Christian faith. Um, but, yeah, at the end of the day, I, I just can't get past Paul's words from 1 Corinthians 3 about, you know, how Paul just is frustrated with the church in mm-hmm. Corinth. You know, here they're, you're saying, I follow Apollos, and some of y'all are, well, we're going to start our own church, and I, I follow Paul, and, you know, I follow this disciple, and this person baptized me, and he's like, what are y'all doing, you know? Mm-hmm. You, you, you're all supposed to belong, none of you belong to me or Apollos, you belong to Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's your identity, and... There has to be room in God's church to, you know, understand things differently on, uh, again, important points. But I would put this squarely in the second tier category. You know, if if first tier is statement of faith, understanding of the gospel, yeah, Christ crucified, resurrected for the forgiveness of sins. I mean, if that's the, the tier one. Um, to me, this is tier two. Very important in understanding, you know, working out, okay, what are the implications of that salvation, doctrines of grace mm-hmm. yeah. for the rest of, of things. But but um, to me, even with tier two things, we, we, there should be room in, in churches. And and you know what? Maybe, maybe uh, 
there is room for different churches that believe different things and different denominations that believe different things on the, on these points. But um, but I, I again I just speak for myself and say I really love the fact that we're a church where you know we have people that um, that can and do disagree even on um, tier two type mm-hmm. issues. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. any closing? Yeah, if we're gonna put a number, uh, I would say I'm a five point Calvinist, and like you said. Um, that term might not even be helpful. I, in thinking about this, I'm not even sure John Calvin would like that. It was called Calvinism, and that's Probably. why I prefer doctrines of grace because it starts with God's grace and ends with God's grace, and everything in the middle yeah. is God's grace. And it's been a journey for me to even get to this point. So, on record, there we go. That's good. Brian. Yeah, and I love what you both of you are saying. Like this shouldn't be something that we. Um, just drive home just for the sake of division, but to take doctrine seriously, these doctrines of grace seriously, um, but not to divide just to divide, but to be Christians first. Um, yeah, I, I think that next episode would be really helpful for me. Uh, this is a bit of a, a newer uh, deep dive for me. So I'm looking at probably four and a half pointer myself, <laughs> four, four and a half pointer. Struggle with limited atonement mm-hmm. um, myself. Um, but this, uh, this episode was really helpful. Anything else to add before we wrap up here? It's a great question. Um, Appreciate mm -hmm. the anonymous listener who, who asked it and appreciate you, uh, Picking it, we're just kind of taking turns picking topics week I to week. This so question this Brian week. picked this it because you knew it'd be helpful for helpful you. I hope it's me. been helpful. I hope it's been helpful for our listeners. Yes. And thanks for picking it. And I hope you guys were taking notes because uh, there's so much good and helpful thoughts that were shared today. So maybe it'd be helpful even to listen back one more time to this podcast and take notes. And on I'll probably speed. be doing that on one half speed. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's it for this week's episode of Ask the Pastors. Remember that you can submit your questions by visiting the info bar at West Hills or by asking them online through our website at www.westhillsstl.org. If you enjoyed this week's episode, smash that like button and share it with a friend. (laughs) And don't forget to tune in again next week. Thanks so much for listening.